What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 23 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we have a ton of stuff to get to, including some listener questions, and in our shop talk section, we will check out Mr. Dawson's favorite metal and favorite wood snare drum. We'll also talk about the cover artist for the February issue of Modern Drummer, Mr. Adam Deitch. We'll get into gear review with the Liberty Jazz Series drum set, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Episode 23, Mr. Dawson, how is the weather? Cold, man. It's It's gotten to deep oh, freeze. Oh, it hit you. Yeah, yeah. It's been frosty, really, really cold. <laughs> you, were all, you were so cocky for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's calm. I mean, it's I'm wearing triple layers to walk the dog at night. And, and even they don't want to be outside. They go do their business and like sprint back to the door. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, we're just getting hit with uh, our with El Nino. So we are uh, – It's it sucks here because – now everyone's complaining that there's going to be too much water. Because of the drought, we have no vegetation to hold the topsoil mm-hmm. in, so there's going to be mudslides everywhere. There's just no happy medium. It's like, goodness gracious. I'll take I'll take floods. Well, not floods. I don't want anybody to lose their homes. But I'll take too much water over no water. What That's, you, when you say, like, a lot of rain, what does that mean for California? Don't be a don't be a don't be a jerk. Come on, man. Come on, man. You know that if we get an inch of rain, it's a big deal. All right. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the saying, rain at Nam, and it's like a sprinkle, and people are freaking okay, out. Okay, that's Southern California. <laughs> I live in Northern California. It's a you know, it's an eight hour drive to get from one end of our state to the other. It's a big state. Uh, yeah, Things yeah. happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're actually only about a two and a half hour drive. You know, before you get to the beginning of Washington. So. We're we're you know we're not we're not overly California I guess you could say but um, no everything's good we're getting getting good amounts of rain it's really Los Angeles it, it actually is Southern California that has the biggest problems because they're they're just not set up their city isn't set up for that kind of rain so El Nino started I think two days ago. And it's been raining nonstop for two straight days, which I know is funny to you, but that to <laughs> us is a big deal. But all of our water here comes anyways from our from our runoff from the snowpack. So yeah. we need snow more than we need water, and we're getting a ton of snow up in the Sierras. So it's 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 good. We're gonna have a good year. All right, good. Balance it out. That's good. So, yeah, buddy. What, so what's going on with you? Uh, well, we had New Year's celebration, so I did the the big New Year's casino gig. Yeah, you which, did. Which, <laughs> which you and I talked about a little bit. Yeah, I learned a couple <laughs> lessons. One was you should probably ask about the venue before you decide what gear to take. Okay. I uh, I was assuming it was going to be because this band kind of plays full volume, loud kind of stuff usually, and I okay. so I assumed it would be a pretty bombastic gig, and it turned out to be like almost like a cocktail hour kind of a gig. Oh, yeah. So I had I took my big kit, you know, twenty four inch bass drum, thirteen inch oh rack drum. Yeah. That's awesome. And I had a, a fifteen inch snare drum. You know. <laughs> Oh, so see, you shouldn't have been talking smack about the hot rods a couple episodes ago. You know, actually, the bass player said, well, "Why don't you use those rods?" I'm like, "No, no, <laughs> yes, no." I know. I, I sent him a text. I was like, "Hey, tell 24 over there to <laughs> to shut it down and get some hot rods." You know, after we had that conversation, I had another gig that I uh, I made myself use them for like four songs. They still <laughs> suck. They just <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> They still suck. Oh, that's so awesome! Yeah, I love it. I love it. Fan. So you had your New Year's gig, yeah. So that so I had the, the this. It was just so loud. The, the when we did the sound check, it was like okay, I've got to play these drums lighter than I've ever played them before. I ended up swapping the snare drum out for. Um, I brought another like a wood shell drum, and that worked better. But it's really handcuffing to try to play like. 
because it's modern country music, so it's basically like arena rock. Right. So trying to play that kind of stuff at like, I mean, I was maybe playing a mezzo piano, mezzo forte with the loudest part, you know, so really six inches off the drums at the most. (laughs) Right. And yeah, and you still want to bring the, you know, the intensity to the gig and and give the gig the right feel, but without people covering their ears and and complaining about the volume. Yeah, that's the challenge. And it was it was also tough for me to balance because the guitar amp was right behind me. So (laughs) it sounded like we were blazing. Right. So I had no idea right. what my volume was. So I just, just when they said, "All right, that's good," I just stayed there and didn't change. It was, it was still fun. It was pretty, it was pretty uh, humbling to look up on the screen as we were playing the Carrie Underwood song and seeing Carrie Underwood performing on Times Square for like thousands <laughs> and thousands of people. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, and it happened again with L King. We were playing her song X's and O's, and then I looked up and she's performing, and my friend Elliot is drumming with her. I'm like, look, there's my <laughs> that's buddy. not humbling. That's not, dude. That's just you know. <laughs> hey, we all have to have a little humble pie every once in a while. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, we had a good laugh. I mean, because we were playing for it. Because we were in like a enclosed Irish pub within a casino. So, oh wow, there was if you weren't going there to eat or just grab a, a Guinness, there's no reason to be in there. Right. So it was just like a occasional foot traffic. Some people were eating dinner. You know it. It wasn't. It wasn't a glamorous gig, to say the least. But you got through it. Yeah, oh yeah. There was there was pay involved. Yeah, it was still fun. I mean, it's a great band. So at the, end, at the end of the night, it was still just fun. Yeah, I mean, that's. I've definitely been in situations where the gig itself was the nightmare situation. So the only thing you can do is turn it into a great musical experience with you know four or five of your friends yeah. and try to make the music as cool as possible and, and enjoy the experience and then forget about the fact that it's a gig, you know. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you just get down on yourself. I mean, yeah. And trust me, I came out of an era where as soon as I quit my band. Every band that had ever opened for my band became massively famous, and it really was not fun to listen to the radio. Oh, you know, man. so I've, I've had the humbling experience, but you know, you just have to kind of you can obsess on that, or you can just block it out and say, "Okay, I'm doing what I do. I play drums for a living. This is a great thing." Yeah, I'm, you know, so yeah, no, but I'm I, I'm glad you had fun. And I'm glad you got out of it safely. Yeah, and it was it was really crazy because I expected New York City traffic to be just deadlocked but i was just gonna ask you about that yeah i mean we we left super early and we got there you know it's like 20 miles from my house and we got there in like 40 minutes crazy crazy i mean i've gone to gigs where it takes me two and a half hours to get to the gig in the city so there was like no traffic it was just freaky so that was the plus side i mean it was like a local gig for me just to go play that's play some good good music with really great players that have no drama and then just come home and be in bed by 1 30 on new year's eve very nice. Well, good. Well, I'm glad we everybody made it, and hopefully all of our listeners had a very safe New Year's Eve and had a great holiday season. And uh, please don't make any New Year's resolutions about your drumming. I can tell you right now, drumming doesn't need a New Year's resolution. That is, New, Year, New Year's resolutions are for things that don't last. They're for things that you're going to give up on in two or three weeks. The drums, they're always there. They're always sitting there. Whenever you have a rough day, they're there for you. They're like a dog. They just, yeah, they're right. always there for you, <laughs> right. no matter what. They don't need a New Year's resolution. Play when you can, play when you're inspired. Force yourself to play when you think you're down a little bit. If you have, if you have no inspiration at all, I promise, just watch a couple drum videos and you'll get inspired. But find videos that are really, you know, relative to you. I don't really watch a lot of, when I'm kind of down on myself, and trust me, I get down on my drumming quite a bit, but I don't watch, the, 
the people that are, you know, 10 years down the timeline from me. I watch guys that are two years down the timeline from me that are relatable where I go, I could actually practice that right now. I could actually get better at that right now. And that inspires me to get on the drum set. So at my level, watching 45 minutes of Virgil Donati isn't going to inspire me. It's going to depress me because he's so much further down the timeline. Mm. But sometimes I'll just watch, you know, maybe a, a Steve Gadd thing and I'll think, okay, I can physically play that, but his feel is so far down the timeline. I'm, I'm going to go jump on the drum set and work on that. Uh, you know, or, or some of the, you know, my friends, they're, they're just further down the timeline at certain aspects of the drums. And when I watch them, I think I could practice that right now. And that inspires me to get on the kit. So you don't need a New Year's resolution. Just practice when you can. And the drums will be there like a, like a sad puppy dog saying, come on, Dad. <laughs> just, just, just pet my snare drum. That happened to me that twice creepy, over but... the weekend, actually. Really? I decided to, I mean, I love Steve Jordan's The Groove Is Here DVD. Mm-hmm. So I just every couple months, I'll just throw it in. And it's, it's one of those DVDs where I can, I can it's short, first of all. It's only like 45 minutes, I think, or maybe an hour to most. But within like two minutes of turning it on, I'm already like, all right, I got to go to the drums. Right. Like just yeah. immediately. And it, it's a different thing each time. One time it might be, I want to try to get that snare drum sound. Or how's he doing that? Or how's he miking the kit? Because he's only using like three mics. Where's the bass drum mic? It's, oh, it's like three feet in front of the bass drum. Let me go try that, see what it sounds like. Yeah. So that happened this weekend. It was for some reason his snare drum sound, which I've I've tried to get in the past. I decided I want to figure it out. And I went down and just started tuning drums. Oh, that's so cool, yeah. man. That's so cool. Yeah, inspiration comes on the kit in a bunch of different ways and it's not always about getting faster or cleaner or more independent. Sometimes like you said, it's just about it's sometimes it's about creating a sound and sometimes it's about capturing a sound and both yeah. are equally as important. So yeah. awesome. Well, let's get into a listener question. So this came to you guys via email. It did. I think it came through our, our regular MD info at modern drummer.com. That's a good way to submit. If anyone has any questions, it's MD info at modern drummer.com. And that'll be awesome. filtered over to me directly. So. Perfect. All right. Well, this comes from Mr. Buzz bar. I'm assuming that's his name. Buzz bar. Yeah, I mean, that was his email name. I'm, I, Dude, what a I, dope name. I hope that's his real name. <laughs> you know my name's Mike Johnston, right? Like, that's like, I get flagged for terrorist stuff because it's so, like, no one would be named something that simple, like yeah. John Smith or Mike Johnston. And so I, I have to do the terrorist check-in at every freaking flight. <laughs> but Buzz Bar, they're letting him walk right through. That's not a, that's an awesome name. Well, Buzz was asking... I was wondering what the mics, Mike, uh, I'm assuming that's us, plural, think about internal kick drum microphones, mounts, and the like, also with or without a ported head. Please discuss. All right, Buzz, let's discuss it. So, Mike, what about you? Where, First of all, have you ever used something like the Kelly Shoe system or anything that, that is really designed or maybe maybe even the main microphone system that's designed to put the microphone inside the bass drum? I have. Um, I've had – actually, when I bought, I bought a uh, – it was a 70s Slingerland kit a long time ago. I've since sold it, but it came with the guy had actually installed his own homemade bass drum mount in it. Oh, okay. So for the first year or so I had that kit, I, I went straight John Bonham, double heads, felt strip muffling, had the microphone just kind of dangling from the mount. Because what he did was he had, uh, he put a bracket on the underside of where the tom mount is affixed to the shell. Got it. So yep. he just created his own bracket and just put a threaded rod on that. So the mic hung like right in the middle of the drum, right aimed at the beater spot. Okay. And it worked at great. about the halfway point? Yeah. I mean, right where that okay. tom mount would be. So just a little yep. bit further back from halfway. Okay. But it, I mean, the mic ended up being positioned right about halfway. Sure. And it worked great. And, um, and I, I used a, what was I using? A Sennheiser E604. I think that's the bass drum mic that they make. 
um, that it worked fine. It worked great. I mean, it was. I don't do it too often anymore. I, ha- I do have the Kelly shoe. I've tried it a few times, but I don't. Um, I'm changing drums so often. I don't want to have a microphone permanently inside any any one drum. Right. I just don't have enough dr- bass drum mics. I need you know that would just be a waste of a mic if I don't touch that you know that sling on drum for six months. I'm just not using that mic properly. Right. Um, so I've used them. I I I think it's probably better for someone who tours who wants to have a consistent setup. Or if you I totally if, agree, or if you really want that double-headed John Bonham vibe, but you need to get some sort of contemporary attack, some some yeah, some exactly. snap to it, I would do that. And like and like I said, the best the Keller shoe is good. It takes a while to in, to kind of install it because you got to cut the rubber bands to a certain length, but it's yeah. not permanent, so you don't have to drill any holes into your drum, which is cool. Right. I think the the, the Randall May is the same way. It just affixes to the lug the lug screws. Um, so you don't have to do any ex, you know, extra. But you can make your own. Just get a bracket and just hook it on inside the shell. You don't need to worry about um, if you have a shell that doesn't have a hole in it, like a doesn't have a tom mount in it, how are you going to get the cable? <laughs> how do you get the cable out? Yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. So you're going to have to drill a hole or you're going to have to buy one of those special uh, like skinny mic cables that will fit through the, the, the vent. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a good example of it. I think we talked about it before, the, the Matt Chamberlain recording drum series that Apogee did. Mm-hmm. The one for four mics, he's using a double-headed 26-inch or 24-inch Ludwig kick, and he's got a, a Shure Beta 52 just permanently installed in that drum. Right. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think I think it really comes down to experimentation, just like you, know, you and I have talked about tuning in the past, and it comes down to experimentation. For me, there's three mic placements. I don't get obsessive about is it – this many inches away, but my three mic placements that I go through when I get to a new room would be, and I always use a boom bass drum microphone stand, you know, one of those short kind of boom stands and I get it in there and I have the mic all the way inside the kick at the halfway point of the depth. Okay. Pointed right at the beater. That's going to be my most attack, but I'm losing a lot of low end, but I can, I can bring in low end through a mixing board. So I don't freak out about it. There's still plenty of low end, but that's all the attack. If I'm going to play a lot of fast notes, I'm in a clinic. I want the audience to hear the clarity of my kick notes. Then I'm going to go with that. The next position for me would be the kind of the one that you see the most on, on stage. And that would be what is it? Who's in that video with Matt? Is it Bob Clearwater? Clearwater. Clear Mountain. Yeah. What a studly name. <laughs> um, Bob Clear Mountain. Yeah, stud of well, an engineer, too. Yeah, and, and he and he talks about how putting that – that's like one of – not the worst spots, but it's just not a desirable spot to put your microphone, which is right in the port like you would see it in a club gig because it's creating – there's so much air pressure coming out there. Yeah. It's creating a lot of woof into the microphone and what he called fake low end yep. that you can't get out of the mix. So that would be the second position. And then the third position, which gives me the least amount of attack and the most kind of Steve Jordan warm sound, would be having the microphone in front of the bass drum head. So I I use all three, but I think that the room has – to say that there's one that's better than another is like saying tuning is better than another tuning. It doesn't work that way. It's it's about what's working best for the situation. Yeah, totally. And especially the gig itself. If the gig is a pop gig, I don't want this clicky Metallica sounding bass drum. Yeah, you know, I really want to. I want it to be warm and support it. So one thing that I do with my students, and maybe we can do it for the podcast. I wouldn't mind doing it at all. But we put up uh, a really good overhead microphone. One good overhead microphone. I usually use the Audio Technica AT forty forty seven. 
and then we just do three different bass drum positions. We do in the in the bass drum, right on the porthole, and then outside the bass drum. And people are just blown away. Not even what's really crazy is not even they're blown away by the kick sound. They're blown away by the drum set changing as I move that bass drum microphone. Yeah, the amount of low end in the toms and the snare and everything that that microphone picks up when you get it outside the kit is incredible. Yeah, and it can also, if you're not careful, it can create some phasing issues too. So it can end up sounding thinner if you if you get it too far out and maybe too high, and it ends up kind of acting as if it's a, a low overhead or something. Totally. Then all of a sudden your yeah. drums just sound thinner, and you're like, why does it sound like that? Well, because they're not they're not capturing the sound waves at the same time, which cancels Absolutely. it out. And to Buzz's point about ported head or not ported head, that's another sound thing. That's not for me. That's not just a feel thing. That's a sound thing. If I want the most resonance out of my bass drum, I don't want it to be ported. I want, I mean, yeah. think about what you're doing when you port a head. It's, it's insane that people can't relate a bass drum to a floor tom, but it's like, would you really just cut a giant four <laughs> to six inch hole in the middle of your floor tom? Well, you know, if you have an 18 inch bass drum, it's only two inches bigger than your 16 inch floor tom. Yeah. So why is it okay? It's like, you're, you're killing that drum, you know, actually, and, and you're doing it in the resonant head. So, which is fine, and it allows you to get that bass drum mic inside. And for a lot of people that want a deader sound, it really helps. And there's a lot of rock drummers that bury the beater, and they don't want that rebound of yeah. having two non-ported heads. So I think it makes a lot of sense. You just have to know why you're doing it. If you know the theory behind this stuff, then you can do it on purpose. And you can say, you know what? For this gig, I'm going to play with a, a regular head non-ported. It's going to give me the most resonance. I'm going to play off the head and really let the bass drum sing. Perfect. That's a great reason to do it. What about you? I mean, do you have a pr preference? I think, I mean, in general, I always have a small hole in the bass drum just for, for flexibility of miking it. Um, I have a couple drums, like my jazz kit, my bebop kit, that has a solid head because I, I never want that clicky bass drum sound. And I have you know, a couple others that I leave set up for more of like the Buddy Rich, John Bonham kind of bass drum. But they don't get used very often because they, they're kind of a pain in the butt to, to mic. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the other thing I was going to say is that that depending on uh, whether you want to go inside or outside, muffling comes in really into play at that point. Like if you're going to if you need the mic inside the drum and have it completely unmuffled, you're going to have some funky boingy stuff happening. <laughs> pong. Yeah. Pong. Yeah. Which is why Absolutely. I mean, even in that Matt Chamberlain video, he, he yeah he's going for the John Bonham sound, which supposedly was only muffled with felt strips but he even has like a, a piece of, of foam in there because you just have to you have to have something to break up the reflections yeah. otherwise you're right it and and anyone that's ever done it it's so funny because you play the kick drum or the bass drum and you go hell yeah and then you go listen back to it on the recording and it goes boom, yeah boom, and you're like wait what that's not what's happening yeah and so yeah it's it's a really big deal to break up those reflections with something like a crumpled up t-shirt yeah or a towel or a piece of foam. Yeah. It, it really helps a lot. And I think that's another big port or I guess um, argument for having a ported bass drum is I have flexibility. You know, I get to yeah. the clinic, they leave it wide open for me usually. I hit the bass drum and I'm like, okay, can you guys find me a t shirt? Yeah. Or it's insane. And I go, hey, can you guys find me like a large towel? I need something to touch both heads. And I don't have to take the head off. I just thread it through the head, the, the port. I do prefer, I can tell you this, I do prefer a smaller port. Like yeah. I don't like to put a 10-inch a, a hole in my bass drum head. So I use the, uh, I use that, God, I, don't, I think it's just called like a port cutter. Yeah. Or, 
it's made by holes maybe yep yep yeah that thing's awesome it's like what 10 bucks is that the one where you can adjust it's the, the size yeah. of it yeah it's yeah it's neat. like a protractor right yeah it's like a little go, razor cir- circular razor thing yeah that yeah. thing's awesome and, cool. it, and it's always because i can't stand a jagged <laughs> porthole it, it drives me nuts oh, and, and you, i'm not and gonna put a sticker on it you'll gash your hand up too if you're pulling stuff in and out of there <laughs> oh totally yeah it's a good point not to mention you might gash your hand up while you're using an exacto hey, yeah. razor to to cut the thing so yeah. all right buzz well hopefully that answers your question oh you know and, i had one more point yeah i want to throw in before we finish uh another factor is whether or not you're playing through subwoofers so if you're playing Ooh. live um yeah. i learned this from michael white who who plays on a lot of uh Smooth jazz records and R&B records. He makes a distinction between in the studio you can you can go with less muffling because you have flexibility to like get the microphone outside or whatever. But if you're playing live on big stages, you want that microphone all the way in the drum for the most isolation, and you and you probably want to throw a bedroom pillow in there. Yeah, because then that allows the subwoofers to do what they need to do, and it's not humming. You're not going to get feedback. So there's a lot of right. factors. I think it's it's your tuning your mic placement and your muffling and the venues that you're going to be playing in all have to kind of intertwine you can't just say i always go unmuffled well then sound men are going to hate you your recordings are going to sound like crap unless you really know how to do it so yeah no i i agree i think that bass drum mic is kind of like the church drummer where if you need to be isolated you got to put them in a booth and that bass drum is the booth (laughs) so the bass drum mic is the church drummer and then if if it's like okay it's all flexibility it's totally up to you let the drummer out of the booth, let him rip, and it's fine. But you know, putting that bass drum mic in, it does a couple things. Like you said, it isolates it from the other instruments, which is really important for mixing. It also gets that microphone stand a lot closer to your bass drum so that the people in your band don't trip over it. Yeah. Where I mean, think about having your bass drum mic three feet away from your kick. Someone's going to trip over that thing. Yeah, it happens you know? all the time in clubs. Every gig. Every gig, <laughs> I'm awesome. like, where did the bass drum go? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. They tripped over the mic. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, good stuff. So hopefully that helps buzz and uh for all of you guys out there please feel free to write in to modern drummer and and also for all the show notes and stuff i don't know if you guys know this but you can just go to moderndrummer.com and check out our podcast and that's where all the show notes and all the links to the stuff we talk about so if you need a little bit more info about the things we discussed please go to moderndrummer.com and you can find our podcast there so in this audio example we're going to go from the most amount of attack to the least amount of attack the first bass drum microphone placement we'll use will be my bass drum mic all the way inside the bass drum right at about the halfway point of the depth of the shell pointed directly at the beater. Now I'll move the bass drum mic to the porthole. The diaphragm of the microphone will be about two inches inside the head. As you can hear, that gave us less attack and a little bit more of what Bob Claremountain calls false low end. Now let's move the bass drum mic outside of the bass drum completely. It'll be pointed at the middle of the bass drum head, about four inches away from the head.
let's move into some shop talk. So last week, I got the chance to show off my two favorite snare drums in my collection, one wood and one metal. I chose the Gretsch Brooklyn 14 by 5.5, and I need to also make a quick amendment. The f- the brass snare drum I played was a 14 by 5, not a 14 by 5.5. Okay. So half-inch difference, but I, I played the brass, um, the I'm sorry, the Gretsch brushed brass snare drum and the Gretsch... Brooklyn snare drum. Those were my two. So now it's your turn, sir. What do you got? Man, this was really tough. So I went in, went at it with the, the thought that you and I are at a shared session. So you've already brought your two drums. Okay. So I know that we've got the the five and a half snappy brass kind of vibe happening. We've got the all purpose Brooklyn with which is maple gum. Is that the shell? Uh, maple poplar. Maple poplar. So that's kind yep. of your classic wood shell Wood drum. snare drum, yeah. And both on the shallower side. So if I was going to add to that, I would say the first thing I want to do is add a deeper metal drum. So what I did for, about, like, for a couple hours over the week was I took – I have various 6.5 by 14-inch metal drums. I have a Ludwig Superphonic, which is a chrome over aluminum shell. Um, I have a Thai stainless steel, which is just – just straight steel. Um, what was the other one? I grabbed uh, a pork pie, uh, big black, whatever they call it, which yep. is uh, black nickel over brass. Um, and I grabbed my black ugly, which is by Mashes of Maple. Which oh, is got a, quite the collection, yeah, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I I like snare drums. It's a bit of a problem. <laughs> so the thing with the black ugly is it's a uh, it's a more boutiquey. A drum, so it's it's definitely high end drum. It's uh, so he has thicker brass hoops on it. He's kind of modeling it after the classic Black Beauty of the seventies, which is okay. a little bit denser. Whereas the Pork Pie, it's a thinner shell, thinner hoops, a slightly different sound. So I tuned them all exactly the same. What I did was I used the tune bot and I tuned the lug pitch on the batter head to a D and the resin head to a G on all the drums, which is kind of like a medium high tuning. Not really where I would – it's funny because it's not where I would record the drum, but it's kind of where when you're – as a drummer playing it, it kind of feels the best. You're getting yeah. the best of, of both worlds, but it doesn't – usually for recording, I'll probably back it down quite a bit from there. So anyway, I just tuned them all there, and I just hit them all just to see, all right, which one of these, if I had to pick one, would I take to the to the session? And it was the Black Ugly. It had the, uh, the, the, it had the biggest sound. It had the fullest, thickest sound. So that was, and this my, is you said this is made by uh, Masters of Maple. Yeah, Masters of Maple. They they're based. So they're of, the masters of everything. Yeah, I'm, it's, I don't know if he expected to be going into metal snare drums when he started the company, but it's my friend's <laughs> saw hair. He's in based out of L.A. Um, so yeah, this is kind of like a classic era Black Beauty replica, and he calls it the Black Ugly because they they patina it really heavily. Oh, okay. And I, I mean, I'm I might not be. Correct, but I think he was the guy who kind of started that trend. He actually retired really? okay. the Black Ugly snare drum because it became because there were so many companies knocking it off a couple of years ago. So the one I got was from a few years back, and it looks just like a Black Beauty with the heavy patina on it. Okay, the ones he's making now, he's reviving it again for Nam this year. Um, but he, he but he did something different. He inverted the bead. So rather than coming out, it goes oh, in. Oh, it goes in. Yeah. Okay, sure. So that's the way he's differentiating the new Black Uglies. Um, so it has 2.5 millimeter brass hoops, which I think is crucial. They're really heavy, thick, resonant hoops. Uh, it's not that thin uh, triple flange steel that you kind of get on generic 
drums. Right. Makes a big difference from just giving it But a, it's not as thick as a die cast hoop. Exactly. They feel and like heavy, triple yeah. flange when you play them. Right. But there's just something more about the, the, the tone. It just sounds bigger, more explosive. Got it. Has brass tube lugs. Um, the shell is, unlike the Black Beauty, it's actually a rolled shell, 1.2 okay. millimeter rolled so it's shell. it's not spun. It's not sure. spun. And it came with a Remo-coated uh, CS batter, which doesn't feel great, but it just sounds awesome. It we always, talked yeah. about it before. It kind of yep. feels flat, but it, it always sounds great. So that, that one, it'd be, I thought for sure it was going to be the Superphonic. Because that's kind of my what I always go to, and that drum sounds amazing, but it it sprays a little bit, maybe too much. Okay. So if I was going to pick one, it'd be the Black Ugly because it can do everything. It can be, you can dampen it down and tune it low and get a real kind of moody indie rock sound. You can keep it wide open like it'll be in the demo, where it's just really bright and powerful. But still, so you didn't muffle it over, or over muffle it in the demo that you're going to do zero zero muffling. Okay, yeah, yeah, a boy. Which isn't what <laughs> I would normally do. I actually would normally sure. put like a you know, like a one-and-a-half-inch piece of tape or a couple moon gels or whatever on it. But for these purposes, it's, it's good to hear the drum in its full body because I think we all know as drummers you can always take sound out of a drum, but you can't put sound into a drum. Right. So if we hear it wide open, it's like, okay, that's that's its max. Now, obviously, you could just muffle down and get rid of the overtones. Yeah, and I really wanted you to hear the how long the sustain is and how pure it is. It's just really awesome. clean and pure. So just a little bit of tape will just round off that tone to where it's not, it doesn't ring forever, but... You know, and like I said, it's kind of tuned medium high. I wanted to leave it there. I didn't do any other tunings. Just wanted you to hear it as that kind of what I think is what most drummers start out at with a snare drum tuning, kind of medium. And high. do you do you know where this thing is price wise? Uh, the one at the time I got it, it was a street price of eight fifty. Okay, so right, so it's a, not insane. Right about a Black Beauty kind of price. Yeah, but I nice. think you're getting you're definitely getting a, a you know this is the one you know. A, a boutique company so you know he's going to test it and make sure it lives up to his standards so and the dude knows drums so that's my choice for the metal drum nice the wood drum um since you already had kind of the all-purpose wood i wanted to go something darker so i picked a five and a half by 14 uh african mahogany by (laughs) by angel angel drumworks which is a uh where are they from they're from hungary yeah, actually. Yeah, we, we talked about that. We reviewed one of their kits. Yeah, right. The black They make those amazing kit. hoops and yeah. Yeah, so this drum company. has those those stainless steel uh straight hoops, angel hoops, which are becoming really popular. You're seeing a, some knockoffs of those already popping up around the industry. Um so it's a great drum. It's a block shell, so it's not a ply shell. Uh mahogany, I've I've i found with some mahogany ply drums they can sound a little uh fluffy, a little woofy. Okay. But the solid shell tightens it up, focuses it, gives it a, a, a lot more presence and snap. So this drum is really great for – you can tune it up high and get like a jazz sound that's that's not harsh, but it's still tight. Um, you can tune it medium for just a great – it's kind of a dry, dark, open sound. Whereas the your drum is probably more of a warm kind of folk. I don't know if it's focus. How would you describe I, it? I would say – I would honestly, I would say that that – that Brooklyn snare is kind of just – it's just snare drummy. You yeah. know what I mean? It sounds like a drum, and that's kind of why I like it so much is as an educator, sometimes I kind of need to be a little generic. I can't be so overly artsy mm-hmm. while being a, a, a general educator. So I, I would say it just sounds like a snare drum. It has a fat crack to it, but not like a f- 
you know, a six and a half deep. Um, it's got a great cross stick sound. It's something I wish I would have demoed. It has a fantastic cross stick sound. Uh, I think maybe due to the, um, the double flanged hoops mm-hmm. and the way they kind of come up with that suicide hoop style. But yeah, I mean, I think that that the, the 14 by five and a half Brooklyn is just kind of your typical snare drum. Right. You know? Yeah. So the, so, the mahogany would be more if you'd like took the, the high end EQ and just turned it down a little bit. Right. Maybe pumped yeah. up the the lower mids a bit, so it's it's just a, a little bit darker, but still because it's a solid show, it has a lot of cutting power. So I like it because it doesn't um, it doesn't take up so much room in the mix. Got it. So it's not like and a, how's the volume on it? I mean, can it get up there, or is it sensitive? It's super sensitive. It's I mean, the, these guys, you know, again, it's another boutique company that they're going to make sure every drum that goes out of their shop is is top notch, and it's a block shell, so that gives it more power more explosiveness but being it. that it's yeah. mahogany it kind of darkens up the tone so it's a it's a pretty cool combo and i did the same thing i tuned it exactly the same as the the black ugly so it's a medium high tuning uh you know that would be my my like compliment i thought about going with like a super deep eight by 14 maple drum yeah because i have a uh, a pork pie eight by 14 maple that i tune it as low as it can go i tape <laughs> up a couple tissues on it and it's i mean it sounds like def leopard Oh, that's awesome. Instantly. Boof. That's awesome. I, I remember on those Def Leppard albums, I used to have trouble as a kid deciding what was kick and what was snare. Right. It's all floor tom. <laughs> it's, all, it's all one sound. And then, yeah, you do like this. I'd, I'd watch the video and I was like, huh, he used like 14 toms in that fill, <laughs> yet I only heard one. Digga, 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 That's awesome. Well, real quick before we hear these, can you just recap once again what the two snare drums are? Yeah, the metal drum is a 6.5 by 14 black ugly by Mashes of Maple. It's modeled after, obviously, the Black Beauty snare, but as if it was aged, it's highly patinaed. So that's the Black Ugly, Mashes of Maple. My wood choice is Angel Drums. It is an African mahogany, 5.5 by 14. Uh, Yeah, with the Angel Hoops. Awesome. Well, let's take a listen to these guys. Okay, so what you're hearing first is the 6.5 by 14 Mashes of Maple Black Ugly. So it sounds like with the snares turned off. No muffling. Now in a groove. Pretty classic, big, full, open, resonant drum. Lots of power. Definitely a Desert Island snare for me. So now you're going to hear the Angel Mahogany. Tuned exactly the same as the Matches of Maple Brass. Great jazz snare. some bark, some bite to it as well. Both of these drums have a very wide tuning range, so not only do they sound good tight like this, but you can detune them all the way, get really fat sounds, so those are my picks. 
Well, I'm definitely going to have to check out those snare drums. So I will hopefully both of those companies will be at NAM. I know Masters of Maple will, but hopefully. Yeah, they'll both uh, be there. Cool. Well, yeah. I will check them out for sure. And uh, so let's move on to the February. Is it the February cover artist? Yeah, yeah. already. February cover artist, Mr. Adam Deitch. So my first question to you is, when did Adam kind of hit your radar? Um, well, it would have been when he landed a gig with John Schofield back in the Me day. Me too. Yeah, I had no idea who up, he was. Up all night. Yep. Yeah, as soon as I heard up all night, I was like, this this could get me into jazz. Who is this? And wasn't he? And then I researched him. Wasn't he like 17? Yeah, I don't or even know. Or something crazy. He was definitely young. He's, I think he might even be younger than me. I'm not sure. But yeah, it was, it was frustrating to find out how young he is. Oh, my goodness. And that, I mean, that, you know, that album changed my view on everything because it had elements of drum and bass which was becoming popular at the time obviously it had elements of jazz very few of the songs swing almost all of the songs are straight and even the swing songs on that album still have a backbeat to them yeah and it it just i mean it it changed everything for me i really i listened to that all the time still one of my favorite albums so if you guys if i could have a pick of the week and i hadn't already chosen my pick of the week i would tell you to get up all night by John Schofield with Adam Deitch on it, so that I'm 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 I didn't know if maybe he was around way before that because I had never heard of him until that album. No, I mean that was at the time I was in college studying jazz heavily, so anything Schofield put out, I was buying because I was a Bill Stewart fan, I was a Dennis Chambers fan, so I had no idea who who this guy was, and it was it was like so different than the Bill Stewart band that at first I didn't know how to react to it, you know, and I right. wasn't listening to electronica or anything like that at the time, but. You could tell that this guy knows, you know, he's not just a, a funk drummer. He knows drumming. He knows the right. history. He knows jazz. He knows all of R&B legacy. He knows hip-hop inside and out. He knows where all the electronic stuff is going and where it came from. And you can you can hear it. So it's not just yeah. a guy playing funky beats on a really tightly tuned kit with John Schofield. He's he's drawing directly from the sources, which at the time— And he has a musical family too, right? Yeah, both his parents play drums. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so he's yeah. so he and then he I mean, I think he has a history with like the average white band. I mean, he's been around. He's been he's been playing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the lettuce stuff brought him into like kind of more of a mainstream fame with the drum world where it was just undeniably funky in a way that I think we had pushed the envelope of busy funk and yeah. it was at a point where it was like, okay, I I we're not going to go further than David Garibaldi. It's just so busy right. and so perfectly amazing in what he does. And then Lettuce came out and it was like, wow, like I'm getting to hear old school funk, but recorded with new, new mics, new mixing boards, yep. you know, it's perfect. And, but it's still just, if, if you were listening to a Lettuce album and thinking like, okay, well, we're three tracks deep. Now the drum solo should start. Cause this is a funk band. And now that's what I've kind of assumed funk is. It was. It really was almost like a funk lesson. It took you back to like, hey, this is what funk is. We make people dance all night long. Right. We don't play big drum fills. You know, I mean, you can go three to four tracks deep and not hear a single tom yeah. on a lettuce album. Yeah, there's a bit of the hip hop aesthetic there too, where it's just this endless loop, this hypnotic yep. loop. And I think that's kind of he. That's what he brings. I think to the to the the history of the funk because he he can do the Garibaldi stuff. He can do all you know the whole history, but he brings that hip hop restraint. And like focus yeah. on sound and minimalism and and your placement of your patterns. He's like yeah. a live breakbeat drummer, which I really dig. He is. I went and saw Break Science here in Sacramento, and 
you know, in my mind, I was going to see Adam Deitch play drums, and I got there, and there's all these kids with glow sticks and edible jewelry, and I was like, what the hell's going on? Like, oh my god, this is a rave. And sure enough, I mean, he went like 50 minutes without a single stop. Like, I mean, not, you know, it was a rave. It was a live rave. It was him and a DJ. And it was fantastic. I definitely was out of my element, just standing in the back like like a chaperone. All right, children, stop kissing. You didn't have an edible ring on? <laughs> I did not have my edible necklace. I couldn't I couldn't find my, <laughs> my edible jewelry. But no, I mean, it was – but you know what I loved about it was he wasn't – looking bored like okay when do i get to let loose i don't know that personally i have that kind of restraint yeah. he loves it you know it, it totally reminds me of how johnny rab feels about drum and bass and house music johnny rab when he's playing house he's not bored at all he'll yeah. play that beat for three hours straight and loves it and that's what allows you to buy into it and yeah. really consider him one of the greats so i think when i've watched adam play whether it be on the modern drummer festival whether it be with lettuce uh, or with break science what I really love about it is he takes gigs that that he personally is connected to, and it's it's obvious when he plays. Really amazing stuff, and definitely too. I mean, you know, I want to talk about him some more, but you guys should really, if you get a chance and you want to kind of re-explore funk and modern funk, check out. Just go to royalfamilyrecords.com. I believe it's royalfamilyrecords.com, but just type in Royal Family Records into Google, and that's the record label that he co-founded. And you will see some of the coolest funk around or hear some of it. Very cool stuff. Nigel Hall, for sure. Uh, Eric Krasno. That's where you'll see a bunch of the lettuce stuff. Um, there will be, you know, if you guys don't know about Funky President, definitely check that stuff out. So it's really amazing how much he's done for the modern funk scene behind the scenes. Not just on the drum level, right. but even on the... You know, on the on the label level, it's pretty cool stuff. And his uh, his appearance at the Modern Drummer Festival was really fantastic. He kind of gave a he was short on time, but he tried to give a history lesson of how R and B progressed up to hip hop, and then he went through the, the couple of different hip hop feels. You know, so he kind of broke it down even further. It's really pretty pretty good. I mean, he he wowed us all with just his his pocket. He definitely had the, the strongest pocket of the weekend. Even Shannon Forrest, who's a studio legend in Nashville, he pulled him aside and was like, "You've got it, man. I can tell you've got the feel. It's coming from the right spot." He even like pinpoint like the time was coming from his solar plexus where it should be coming from. Like, wow. He called That's him out. That's really cool. He went actually went up and like congratulated Adam's parents. It's like your That's son. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really That's cool. Well, I mean, definitely I think if if you saw that the Modern Drummer Festival, you came away realizing there's no luck involved in Adam's career. Right. He knows his stuff. He went through the whole history of Jay Dilla up there. He, you know, even referenced like um, the Schofield stuff when he went and played the 18 inch kit. You know, he played the Tama Bop kit. Right. So, yeah, I think. Uh, I think he's just somebody to – he's kind of like a modern Steve Jordan. He plays great pocket, great feel, and I'm really excited to look back on his career 20 years from now. And I think he'll be one of those Jordan-esque guys where we look at him and it's like, oh, if you want to really work on your feel, you should check out Adam Deitch. Yep, you know? I agree. Which, which I think is cool stuff. All right, awesome. Well, it's time for our favorite section. This is the candy, the gear review. And you got to review the Liberty Jazz Series drum set. Now – I was trying to remember when I was looking at this, uh, you have the kind of cotton candied, uh, colorful kit. I've seen that kit before in conversations with you, so I couldn't remember how we – we didn't review it on the podcast. Did we talk about it at some point or did you just 
get it and send me some pictures? I know I've seen that kit before. That's a good question. I mean, I, I saw it at the Chicago Drum Show last spring. Okay. So that's when I was like, oh, I want to review I wonder this if you kit. maybe sent me a picture from Chicago Drum Show. Yeah, you might have seen it might have that or it might have been on the Instagram feed. Okay. It might have been that. But yeah, it was they were at the uh, actually I met them at NAM last year and then they were back at Chicago this year. So they always make cool stuff. They're out of the UK, but they're they're doing kind of Gretsch ish kind of designs. Uh this one in particular kind of felt like a like a sixties psychedelic era Gretsch kit to me. Right. Now, are these high-end kits cost-wise, or are they kind of mid-level? Um, I mean, it's a, prof- a professional kit. The list price is like $2,400. So, okay. You know, it's, okay. it's not like Just, a Craviato price. Well, yeah, because I saw, actually, that's funny that you bring that up. I saw in their Avant series that they kind of have a Craviato look to them yeah. uh, with the inlay and everything. And I thought, oh, if that's, if that's under five grand, that's, you know. That's that's a pretty cool kit, especially if it sounds great. Yeah, you know? it sounds great. The hardware, the the lugs, are I think they're they're cast. They're not a they're not machined, so they're they're fat. Know, yeah, they're big lugs. They're kind of saving a little bit on on some of that stuff. Um, and they're birch shells, so it's kind of a vintage vibe with a with more of almost like a vintage sonar kind of a. It's like a so maybe maybe it's more aligned with like a vintage sonar than a Gretsch, but they're kind of in in my mind they're they're related because they're straight. Straight shells, no reinforcement hoops. I don't think. Okay. And the kit that you reviewed is a bop kit? Yeah, it was. Uh, 12, 14, 18 with a matching five and a half inch snare. Um, even though it's called the Jazz Series, I actually f- thought they were better for, I mean, they were fine for jazz, but they, they had just a little bit more punch. So they worked better for like Steely Dan kind of stuff. Or I ended oh, wow. up demoing in kind of like a, uh, like a Charlie Watts kind of vibe. Okay. They have that kind of vibe. And they didn't need any muffling. The snare drum came with a head I'd never never checked out before. These the Evans Strata. Have you, have you tried that one? Strata staccato. I don't even know why you're even mentioning that to me. <laughs> Aquarian for life. <laughs> no, I haven't I haven't run across the Evans Strata Staccato. It's is like it, their, is uh, it a super dry head? It's like their it's orchestral st- head. So it kind okay. of looks like calfskin, but it has a, a muffling ring and I believe it has the, the the vents, the holes in it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a great it's a great head. I mean, I was really impressed with it. It required no tape, no moon gel, nothing like that. Nice. Um, so, yeah, they, they chose that wisely. The the Toms had the J1. So the heads were all kind of calfskin-ish, you know, kind of okay. that kind of vibe. Uh, yeah, it was a great kit, really punchy. Um, and the finish, some people hate it, some people love it. I really liked it, and it actually reacted to the – to the photo lighting and my studio lighting completely differently, which was kind of cool. Really? Sometimes being more purple, sometimes being more red. It's wow, called, okay. I think they call it blue flame. It's, it's pretty psychedelic. It's pretty wild. Electric blue flame wrap is, is the finish. Yeah. They, I mean, I was checking out their website today and they, they make some really cool stuff. I know that I saw them at the London drum show and I, I would assume I even played their kits. It's just, it's so, it's just like Nam. I mean, it's so loud there. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of hard. And and every time I sit down, because they always have two kits at the front of the booth, somebody else wants to like, you know, it's like being an MMA fighter at a bar. Somebody <laughs> needs to test their chops. And I'm like, you win. I don't care. <laughs> You're faster than me. Your hair is not receding. Mine is. <laughs> if we were in a race, you would win. I, what, what do you need? 
just go. Let me just, I just want to hit the rack top. That's why when I go to these shows, I always have one drumstick. I yeah. never have two. Yeah. I just want to test things out and I will walk away and, and that is it. But I just, I just want to hear the dang toms. Yeah. But I, I remember seeing them there. And they make some beautiful drums. Like I said, as soon as I saw that Avant series, I was like, oh, wow, that's very Craviato-esque with the whole you know inlay in the middle. And then I checked out the series you played. So as far as what we're going to hear from your demo, is it jazz tuned or do you have it in multiple tunings or is it in that mid-range tuning that you were talking about? I, I tested the whole range, but what ended up in the demo, because the high, the high range just sounded like a bebop kit. It, there wasn't okay. much sure. to distinguish it. But once I got down to the medium and the medium low, is where it kind of it really became punchy and had some pretty cool vibe and so I the only thing you're going to hear is the medium and a medium low and at end I'm playing I'm playing along to a Rolling Stones track so it's a Charlie Watts okay. kind of vibe but it's I think it might be Brown Sugar I don't remember which song it was <laughs> awesome well yeah that, that's a really great point too because sometimes when you get these kits especially these bebop kits in these high tunings it's really hard to distinguish one from another like yeah. I've told you before a lot of my Gretsch artist friends. They they play their Catalinas on the gigs all the time because they at that tuning you can't really hear the difference unless you're being close mic'd between that and their USA Customs or whatever. Yeah. So it comes down uh, to the drum heads at that point. All you're hearing absolutely. is the drum heads. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, let's check out the kit. Let's get to our picks of the week. And before we do, uh, we got to go back and talk about our fitness talk last week. We got into the topic of these straps that you can kind of use to work out anywhere. And we called them THX bands. And I've actually done, and I called it a THX workout. Now, THX is the, uh, is the technology that George Lucas founded for sound. The bands are actually, and the straps are called TRX straps. And it's a TRX workout. And so clearly Mike and I are not as in shape as we thought we were. I wonder if George Lucas has a THX gym. <laughs> he should, man. He should be like, well, I mean, look at him. He's like, this is the THX thing. We watch 
the new Star Wars. We complain about it yeah. because it's awesome. And then we eat. And we do THX. virtual exercise. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Actually, he probably burns a lot of calories just being like, I hate the new Star Wars. <laughs> Why is it so good? Have you seen it, by the way? I did. I saw it New Year's Day. Did you like it? Uh, I thought it was excellent. I mean, I, I, I did, did not like episodes one, two, and three at all. Oof. So that, those were rough. I had those no expectations going in. I would kind of given up on the fact of liking it. And I think it it's, picks up right where the originals left off. Or Yeah as it should have left off. Yeah, J.J. Abrams is fantastic, in my opinion, at everything he does. I don't care to poke holes in the story. I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I get it. You know, to me, the one thing that has to, if you're watching Star Wars, the original three, four, five, and six, um, if you're watching the original three or the new one, the one thing you constantly have to remind somebody that's never seen any of them is, I know these are popular, but these are supposed to be children's movies. Right. These are movies for kids. So, I don't poke holes in the story. I don't care. I just sit back and see like, okay, in the original Star Wars, I wasn't into all of the minutia of everything. I just was either entertained or I wasn't. Yeah. And I was. And in this one, same thing. I uh and then the the new lead actress, Daisy something, yeah. she's she's a stud. Is she not Kira Knightley's sister? I mean, what? Dude, I I read an article on <clears throat> Not, not. It wasn't like People Magazine or OK Weekly or something like that that Amber has. But um, I read an article on the Huffington Post about her, and she she definitely hates being compared to Kira Knightley. Well, and I mean, she funny, can't but, deny it. Her mouth. No, it, she said it's been that way her whole life. Yeah, her laugh, everything, everything about her happiness is dead on Kira Knightley. Yeah, when she smiles and when she laughs, it's it's dead on. But I, I thought it was fantastic. So. There is no such thing as the THX workout. Oh, there it's should TRX. Be. Yeah, that was our fault. And that rolls into my pick of the week. My pick of the week is something similar, which is just rubber workout bands. Uh, they're very simple. You can go to even Target and get them, or you can go to uh, a fitness place. But the reason why I love them is because I travel a ton. And when I get to the hotel room, you know, generally I've had a pretty rough day of nutrition, lots of airport food, or maybe I land and the people that are bringing me in for the clinic, they, I mean, it's just part of, it's par for the course. They take you to the fattiest dinner possible. They take you to their nearest local steakhouse. They want to show you a good time. So having these rubber workout bands that, you know, take the front portion of my suitcase up at the very most, but they come in light, medium, heavy, it allows me to do a full body workout in the hotel room. And it's really important to me so that I don't feel like a a giant fat slob. Uh, So between that and my cymbal bag, I usually have enough to do some pretty serious workouts. I can take my cymbal bag, which probably weighs about 45 to 50 pounds, hold that over the top of my head and do squats. Then I can do shoulder presses with it. Uh, If I'm feeling really sassy, I can maybe get about two or three curls in on my cymbal bag. (laughs) (laughs) And and then everything else gets covered by the workout bands. I usually only take one with me. It's this purple workout band that is there heavy, and it allows me to do stuff for my arms and my shoulders. And then you can always use the floor for push-ups. Just put down a clean towel before you start mm. doing push-ups at the hotel room. <laughs> but other than that, that's, I mean, it's, it's actually very important to me to always take that with me everywhere I go. So what is your pick of the week, sir? Uh, well, before I get to mine, how do you handle yeah. uh, hydration when you travel so much? Bottled water is key. Um, And, you know, I mean, I I drink a ton of green tea, which can actually dehydrate you. Uh, It's very healthy for you, but you have to pretty much every, however much tea I'm drinking, I'm also drinking an equal amount of water right after it to kind of rehydrate. But it can be tough. I mean, nowadays it's, it's 
it's pretty good as far as I think the people that are bringing me in for clinics are much happier to hear me request two cases of bottled water rather than two cases of Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, yeah. it's, but it is important. It's very important because, especially with all the flights. Yeah, exactly. And you end up, I mean, I get chapped lips every time I travel, no matter what oh, I do. Oh, dog. If I could trade out one of my endorsements for Burt Bees, I probably would. <laughs> I'd be like, you know what? I'll buy symbols, but give me some free, <laughs> free chapped dog. What am I holding up to the camera right now? It looks I'm like telling. some Burt's Bees chapstick. That is, that's right. <laughs> By the way, on Netflix, check out the uh, Burt Bees do- uh, documentary. It is fantastic. Okay. Burt is a real dude. He's like 80 years old. He hates the world. He he lives in like a little hut. He's a billionaire. And he's just they, – they keep wheeling him out for these presentations. He's like, I don't care. Just rub my balm on your lips. <laughs> it's so awesome. Oh, you know, I watched that uh, CNN Steve Jobs documentary. Did you see that? Dude, of course. I watched it like 10 oh, times. Man, that was brutal, I thought. It, it is. And it's if you've read the book that I recommended like two podcasts ago, it's it it doesn't shock you at all. But you know, we've we've gone really far out of our way to make him kind of a saint and to cover up some of the bad and yeah, it's it's that guy went deep into telling it, it and I didn't think it was salacious at all. I thought he just was like, look, this is what I mean, is out there. He's got his friends and family saying this stuff about him. There's no other you can't deny no. it. I mean, the guy no, and I don't think nice even person. No, and and I mean, the thing is that Steve gave the author that did the original um biography, he gave him full access knowing that. He's like, look, you're not going to find out great things about these here's the phone number to all my friends and family. Yeah. But it's the truth, and I'm proud of what I've done. You know, and that's the other thing is, no matter how bad he was, you also can't take away the good. You just have to allow it to exist and be like, it is what it is. You know, yeah. and so I've learned. I said this when we reviewed the book. I've learned as much from all of his negativity and his mistakes as I have from his triumphs. Yeah, I mean, Every, yeah. everything that he did is treating somebody horrible. I thought, you know what? I could fall into that trap so easy. Yeah. I need to make sure I don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see the tunnel vision of all he wanted to do was put out great products and have them be as, as successful as possible. But when he chased down that guy from Gawker.com and, and that like was sending the, the – there, I didn't realize there was a, there's a Silicon Valley police that kind of takes care of their own. And they just battered <laughs> his house down and stole all of his computers. Next level, dude. I mean, I was like, that is that's really gnarly, and all the stuff with China. It's like this is this is. Some, I mean, it makes me question honestly buying another iPhone. But but at the same time, without Apple, I wouldn't be recording because my yeah. studio is an Apple based studio. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, it's 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 kind of tore me up in a in, a, in an uncool it, way. <laughs> yeah the the book and I mean really that that. The new special, and it's on. I don't think it's on Netflix yet, but it is. I, I I bought it on iTunes, so you can. If you haven't seen it on CNN, you can buy it. But that is a very visual representation of the book that I was talking That's about. That's what I figured. It, it really shows it. Um, the only the major difference between the book is just one. It's it's a thousand pages of of really of of the backstory of the childhood of his parents. Yeah, you know his adoption. His questioning, his being adopted, and trying to find a place in the world, even though he had super supportive parents. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty cool stuff. So, if if you guys you know need something to check out, Steve Jobs will go down in history as one of the most compelling human beings of our time. So, it's definitely worth learning about because, like I said, you will learn a ton of life lessons from all the things he did wrong and all the things he did right. Yeah.
Yeah, it was pretty pretty wild. So, how do we pick that up into your pick of the week? <laughs> Tell me you have something like uplifting. <laughs> I've got nothing even relo- related to Apple products. That's for sure. Out of boy, out of boy. You know, it was the this past weekend we you know taken down all the the holiday Christmas decorations and stuff. So there was these these uh, things stuck on our door. The, these gel clings, like Santa Claus gel clings, like the window okay. window decorations. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, so we had some that we've had for years, and, and the ink in them is starting to bleed. So all of a sudden, Santa Claus has like a green beard and stuff. So <laughs> it was finally time, Santa. you know, it was finally time to get rid of them. But rather than throwing them away, I just cut them up and use them as moon gels. They're essentially the exact same substance. So it, and you can get them. I mean, around around every holiday at every dollar store, you can get like packets of probably like ten gel clings for like two bucks. Awesome, man. So, you know, that's funny. A lot of people have told me when they see either Moon Gels or Vader Buzzkills, and they're not drummers. These are just people, friends of mine, that will come over. They'll be like, oh, I have those at the on the bottom of my furniture, or right. I use that for this. I mean, it's it must be a very common product somewhere in China where they're like, yeah. we'll cut it to any shape you want. <laughs> what do you want to call it? Yeah, and I picked the, the holiday gel clings because you're going to end up throwing them away eventually. So don't throw them away. They'll last forever. Or just go down to your dollar store and you'll get – you can get like – you can buy the whole rack probably for 20 bucks. And, and I mean, dude, do you want a moon gel on your drum or do you want Santa Claus during <laughs> right. the Christmas time? That's pretty dope. <laughs> or That's Halloween, dope. you can get a ghost. I saw Todd Zuckerman uses a ghost. Clint. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> if you're going to use it, it might as well look cool. <laughs> Yeah, so you know what? You know you just screwed everything up. Now Vader's like, oh, all right, we'll put out our Christmas version next year. <laughs> you know why not? I mean, just get, <laughs> exactly. some, get some off the ship from China and put a Vader logo on it. <laughs> <laughs> Big old V. Oh my goodness! I saw a thing today on. Okay, so you've seen the new Star Wars. So I saw a thing today comparing Elon Rubin to Kylo Ren. Oh and my. And they were, and it was like the pictures of Elon with his long hair and Kylo Ren of the new Star Wars were dead on. And they were like, "Are you telling me it's a coincidence that he's endorsed by Vader?" I don't think so. <laughs> and he's holding his Vader drumsticks, spelled differently, but it was still pretty awesome. So it was uh, good stuff. Funny. Every once in a while, the internet can make you laugh. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. And you know that actually to go back to Star Wars, that guy he was the one casting that that kind of threw me out of the movie a little bit. I agree because I know him from the show Girls and some other stuff. See, I hadn't seen him before. Uh, unlike you, I don't watch the show, girls. <laughs> I just read Amber's smut mags. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, I guess I kind of got it. I liked, I got it. But I, I, there were times where I was like, okay, this guy isn't working because the other castings were so incredible. Yeah. Especially the one thing that that makes me happy is the casting of of Ray uh, with I can't remember her last name, but Daisy's her first name, but. Just incredible. She's yeah, perfect. perfect. And she's about to be a huge megastar. So very good stuff. Yep. All right, brother. So uh, I will speak to you in another week. Yeah, we're two weeks away right? from NAM, So we have to, at some point, figure out what figure we're going to do. Gonna do. Yeah. Can you imagine we're going to be able to do a podcast and high five at the same time? That's crazy. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> so crazy. awkward. We're going to like put a window in front of, between us. I know. It's going to be really <laughs> weird. It's like, oh, man. The physical contact episode. (laughs) This is just awkward. All right, everybody. Have a fantastic week. Go get some practice in. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did, please give us a high rating on iTunes. It really helps out. And we will see you guys next week.